Mainstream media is dominated by the right and the left. The majority in the middle are left without a voice. You've reached the Conservative Hippie Podcast, a common sense look at life, the universe, and everything. Here's your host, Jay Frat, the Conservative Hippie. I am so excited about the show today. Episode number 50. Oh, man. I've been talking about this episode for a long time, and we're going to do something special today, something we've never done, and it's going to be fun. We're, we're going we're gonna to give the listeners the voice, and I've got Poetic Math in the studio with me. What's going on? What's going on? He is going to be the voice of the listener. We, uh, I sent out a few uh, DMs on Twitter, solicited some questions from some listeners, said, hey, what questions would you guys have? I thought a lot of them were super poignant and timely to the times. But man, it's episode 50. I don't know if you guys know, episode 50 is a big mark for me. Way back in the teens and the 20s, I would always say, hey, this is just practice. This is just practice. When I get to episode 50, you know, hopefully we'll have things figured out. Maybe I'll start to be a little bit more consistent. I know a lot of you have given me advice throughout the years. That advice is always consistency. You need to podcast more. Why don't you podcast more, Jay? Well, I'm a busy, busy mofo, I tell you. I am a busy, busy conservative hippie. If you didn't know, this isn't my only podcast. I've got two other podcasts. I do a soccer podcast with Memo Jimenez called Kick from the Spot. Uh, We had a little bit of COVID delays, and it's coming back this week. And I also do a podcast I've done for four years now. We've published the stoner horoscopes for Adora Zen for my company, Smokin' Jays, and I just enjoy that podcast so much. We are up to, I just checked it the other day, we're up to 7,000 subscribers now um, with the stoner horoscopes, and that's just exciting. I'm excited, but this, this is the conservative hippie. This is all about community, and I've said all along, hey, I'm not concerned about consistency. I'm not looking to pump some sort of platform and send a bunch of BS up into the universe. I will only podcast when I have something I want to say, something that's important. Um, I've done a few episodes recently that I absolutely loved. Uh, My COVID episode, uh, Raced Off the Charts, was very popular. My personal favorite recently was the uh, expose I did uh, on Joan Rivers. Uh, not not too many people commented on that one. Kind of some touchy subjects. Uh, poetry math. Did you uh, did you listen to that particular one? I have not listened to that one yet. That one's a little controversial. I don't think people like that one very much. And maybe there's some Google suppression going on because oh. of uh, what what Joan. The the most interesting thing isn't necessarily how Joan Rivers died. It's what Joan Rivers said a month before she died. Oh. And then you start to look at how she died, and the circumstances were very strange, and the fact that it wasn't a invasive procedure so much. It was a very routine, normal procedure that people don't die from. Anyways, this is episode 50. So what I'm explaining is I've always uh, thought that episode 50 was going to be some sort of line in the sand, Right. Uh, we need to step up our production value. We need to step step up the consistency. This is officially the marker. So I'm drawing, laying it down. I'm drawing a line in the sand. We will be podcasting more. Um, 
the long-term plan I've always said is once I get to episode 100, that's when I will decide whether I keep going, stop, and just say, forget it. I'm going to produce other people's podcasts. I'm going to do other things. Uh, or if I keep going on this conservative hippie adventure. Sometimes it's a little bit of a scary adventure, uh, Pomo. Can I call you Pomo? That's fine. Calling someone poetry math is a little difficult, to well, be honest. it's poetic math. Oh, oh, I apologize. It's so, poetic but math. But you can call me Pomo. N- not exactly a name that rolls off the tongue. Poetic math. I kind of love it, though, as far as like a pen name or something like that. But to say it out loud, poetic yeah. math. Yeah, I think it might grow on you. Okay. All right. Well, I'm excited you're here. Uh, you're going to represent the the listeners. Uh, we've got some questions. Uh, do you have any questions off the bat of your own, um, just as, as in the intro? No, I just want to say thanks for having me on and the opportunity to come in here and, uh, and and experience this. I think you do a great job so far with what I have heard, and I appreciate the effort and your uh, that you put into everything you do. It's, it's impressive. And I know what goes into doing what you do and you can see that, you know, it's, it's time and it's energy and it's great. Oh, well, thank you. Poetic math, man. Um, and you guys aren't going to quite get to know the poetic math man in this particular episode, but we've got an episode we're working on together that I'm pretty excited about. Um, uh, I guess we could tease them a little bit with the name of the episode. What, what's that name going to be? It. I think we came up with the Purple Thread Resonance. Purple Thread Resonance. So we'll just let your imaginations go on what the hell that's going to be all about. Also at episode 50, if I'm going to look back at the first 50 episodes, um, some of the lessons I learned was I was far too open. I uh, I just came out swinging with my podcast, sharing all kinds of little tidbits about myself, cursing like a sailor. Uh, uh, I actually deleted a lot of early episodes because then I found out that my mom was listening. Mm. So from that day that I found out that my mom was listening, I've always tried to maintain some modicum of decorum um, to make myself proud, also represent my mom and make her proud. I think that, you know, I, I almost think that if we live life as if our mom is watching and listening to everything we do, it's probably we're going we're gonna to do better in life if we live that way. What do you think about that? I think that's a noble, noble pursuit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the things I've looked back on with all the episodes I've done um, is I've, I really like kind of the one-off little and small investigative series like the, uh, the COVID um, the time travel episode I did where uh, some people were talking about uh, uh, the, the show in the early 2000s, and then that led me to a thread on hydroxychloroquine. I really enjoyed that episode. But I've been a little heavy on the conservative. I've been a, okay. I mean, it, it's hard. 2016, 2015, Trump came along, right? Mm. And everything became about politics. And there is so much to argue with. There's so much to analyze. There's so much to defend at times. I lost a little bit of the hippie. And and when I look back on my episodes, some of my favorite episodes, like, for example, my interview of Jay Frodo, if you want to get some great advice in life and entrepreneurialism, uh, look, look back at the episode with Jay Frodo, just a fantastic episode, and I love that guy. You, you, uh, Poetic Math, you actually remind me of your life philosophies a little bit 
um, like Jay Frodo. Um, and all right, I'm I'm just rambling at this point. Um, let's get let's get to the first question. Sounds good. Okay. So once again, I kind of sent out some feelers. I let a few of my friends know um, what. I was going to be doing episode 50 on. Um, I, I've got questions from people I only know through Twitter, uh, somebody I work with, um, some longtime listeners. I've even got a little bit of some celebrity uh, on the list there. Um, but these are questions from them. I did not lead them at all, and I, I really like the depth of questions that came in and the breadth of the que- questions that came in. All right. Well, the first one we have is from... Dave's Twitty Life on Twitter. The question is, at what point in your life did you become the conservative hippie and realize that to be true to yourself, you would identify yourself under two descriptors that most people believe to go together, like fire and water? So this is one of the most popular questions that I've got in the first 50 episodes. And it's it's some of the biggest hate I get also where people say, you know, you can't be a hippie uh, and conservative. You know, they they're these two things kind of like Dave said, they just don't go together. And the the problem with it and I've said this many times on my podcast, uh, is it's it's someone's own definition of conservative and someone's own definition of hippie. And I think that especially in modern times these definitions have gotten crossed a little bit. So I want to take you back to growing up, because he's saying, when did you realize? I've kind of always been this way, but growing up, college, young adult life, people would say, it's a kind of a popular phrase to say you're socially liberal and fiscally conservative, right? As a matter of fact, most people in the middle are that way. I mean, I kind of think it's a common sense way to live, right? We we need to manage our budgets with fiscal responsibility, and we need to stay the hell out of people's lives. That's that's fiscally conservative and socially liberal. It was something that was said when I was young. Well, as I've gotten older and when I came up with this podcast, what is that? Uh, to me, that's the conservative hippie, right? So conservative to me is someone um, that wants to, you know, get off my lawn, get out of my business, government. Okay, so wants to live, be able to live independently, um, but also expects our government to have some sort of frugal nature with which they spend our tax dollars. Don't ever forget the federal government, your state government, they don't do anything that's not your tax dollars. They are representing us. They're using our funds. And I expect them to be fiscally conservative. So that's what conservative means to me in that way. Um, And then hippie, you know, hippie goes hand in hand. I always like to look, I try to explain to people that a far left liberal is actually very similar to a far right libertarian in the fact that they share some core values, and that's civil liberties. That's believing very much in the Constitution and the government staying out of your life. Okay, so I don't, I think a hippie very much um, is in that vein of, of, of thought where they want the government out of their lives. But at the same time, the way that I look at the term hippie is someone who's empathetic towards others. You don't want to live your life trampling on others. We don't want to trample on the environment. We don't want to do things that trample on our community. We don't, you know, 
our community is our stakeholder in society. We have to think about the greater good and also the neighbor next door. Um, and so that empathy is where I come up with hippie. And so therefore, there it is, the conservative hippie, which is my modern twist on fiscally conservative, socially liberal. Or, as I like to say, uh, all of us folks in the common sense middle. That's perfect. What, what, do, you, what do you think about that poetry math? Po- well, excuse me, poetic math. I don't want to get your name wrong. I apologize. Yeah, no problem. I don't want to dead name you. What is dead name? I have no idea. I think dead name is where you call someone who's transgender, who's transitioned. So they might have been uh, Michael previously, and now they're Michelle. And dead naming is calling someone Michael. So uh, misuse that term there. Didn't mean to to mispronounce your name. How about that? I'm not offended. Poetic math. Well, I think what it sounds like to me, your name, and when I first heard it, it seems to be saying that you're a good guy who is relatable to people on a wide spectrum of held beliefs and that it, it represents its saying to people, this is who I am, and I, I, I can relate with people from a, from a lot of different walks of life, and I've seen that. In you, is isn't that isn't that true though that it should be the way we all should be, and I think we are in a lot of ways, but in our modern political system in particular, and even our social structure, it almost forces us into these groups and into these camps and into these left and these rights. Where uh, if you're if you're on the left on one issue. Well, that means you're on the left on every one of them. And there's so much more nuance in this world. There's so much more like flux where someone might be super left on an issue, but on another issue, they might be super right. It just, those terms, these left and these rights, they just don't make sense. We should take each issue on its own, on its own face value. And and we've lost that. But also, when I was growing up, politicians were representatives of the people. And so you might have a Washington conservative that was a little more liberal than your Kansas conservative. And they wouldn't always agree on things and they wouldn't always vote with their party. Nowadays, we're like just we're 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 electing bots. We're electing these bots that just go off to Washington and they just vote with their party. Because that's what they have to do. Because of course they're Republican, they have to vote this way, and and it's almost like our whole political structure has been set up for that these days. And that's why that's why Congress has what the lowest approval value of of uh, any government structure. Uh, any any president we've had in modern times, Congress is always in the teens in t- terms of approval value. A- yeah, approval rating. Yeah, um, and you know I think. Social media really it makes the, the problem even worse. We were caught in our own little thought bubbles and our, you know, with with those you know people that think like we do, and all we're seeing is that, and it's repeated back to us. So you start to begin that. I'm sorry, you start to think that that is just the way the world is because it's all you're ever shown and seen, and you know it makes it even hard to be able to relate to somebody who has a different viewpoint on a particular issue, and yeah. it's. You know, it is. I think this is a new novel thing. You know that has 
increased or I guess become more polarized, you know, through the way media and social media is, is, is working right now. I still think we're all in control of it. It's still the buck stops with you. And, and this is also part of where I think the hippie and the conservative blend together. And that's personal responsibility. That's where, that's where that far left wing guy and that far right libertarian guy, I think they're kind of in that same mode. And that's personal responsibility that we have to, at, at the end of the day, if, if my friend Eduardo, who, uh, who is clear Democrat, calls me out on Twitter and says, hey, you're mistaken here, and he gives valid facts, it's my job to investigate the valid facts that he's giving me and possibly change my mind or admit I was wrong. Right. And, th- and this 100%. is this has happened. We need to do more of that with each other. We need to hear each other out, be pliable to changing circumstances, because we we rarely have it right the first time. We're all in this experiment life together trying to figure it out. Yeah. And I mean, I would just add that, you know, we need to balance it out by just going out and having real conversations with people more often face to face. Yeah. You know, when you do that, there's a different sense that inevitably comes out of you. You you're, you're it's so much easier sitting behind your laptop or on your phone to sit there and you know, just get nasty with someone when it's just a a name on a screen that's anonymous. It's not even a real person and I know that's something you pride yourself in not doing but it, it really makes it easier. But when you get out there in your community and you're, you're, you're really sitting there face-to-face having conversations with people, they're typically a lot more civil. And I just think that we, we forget that because we're, we're being shown these things in media and on social media. It, it, it just isn't that way. But people are real, and that's, that's going to bring that out, I think. And we just got to balance that out. You know, It's just like making sure you spend time out in the woods and in nature walking around instead of on your computer and on your laptop all day long. It's just important to be balanced. Yeah, the uh, that Anon status on social media does bother me. Um, I, I, I have my real name. I am my real person. I've got my real pictures on all my social media accounts. I don't have anonymous backups where, where I just fire off things. I, I think it's important to have to stand behind your words, and it's unfortunate that so much of social media are these anonymous avatars that there's no real repercussion to their words. So, you know, they, they just flame out all the time and they don't care. They don't have to treat anybody a certain way because they're not necessarily held accountable. And I know there's tons of times where I hold my tongue or I, I think a little bit more rationally or I attack, I attack a problem from a different angle uh, because I know my face and my name is out there. And I and I think a lot of people should uh, should consider that uh, being themselves online and not some anonymous avatar. All right, what's the next question? All right, question number two we have from Gerald Moody, fifteen sixty on Twitter, and the host of this, that, and the third podcast. All right, well, clearly you're not a fan. Uh, poetic math, but G. Moody is the uh, three-time, I think, uh, podcast co-host of the year. He was the co-host of the I Am Rapport Stereo podcast. He is G. Moody. He is the current host of This, That, and the Third. So, yes. All right. What was his question? What was his question? His question was, will Joe Biden debate Trump, considering he seems to be declining mentally? So, I mean, this world is... Uh, excuse me, mom. This world is batshit crazy right now. It's madness. 
I, I just talked with a friend the other day, and he, he I, I don't want to say that he's liberal, but he's open-minded, and, and he's not very political, and he just keeps hitting me with these questions like he's so perplexed at this world. And all I did was I turned my camera on and I just said, madness, madness, because that's what it feels like, doesn't it, sometimes? Madness. So recently, Nancy Pelosi was starting to set up when she was on microphone and on camera and said, oh, you know, don't don't tell Joe I said this, but, uh, you know, I don't even think he should debate Trump and not even give him the platform. I love that. This would be absolute madness if we have a presidential election where we don't have debates between the two candidates. It, that. That would be bonkers to me. They set it up. I will tell you this. I think he's going to debate. I think he has to debate. The debates are set up. Unless there's some sort of switcheroo and something happens. Um, I didn't think it was going to happen, but Joe Biden recently came out. He had his first press conference since coming out of the basement, and he answered questions. And to be honest, I was impressed. I was impressed with his cognitive skills. Now, the bar was really low. He did not take a lot to impress me. He got some facts wrong. He, you know, he, he kind of messed it up a little bit, and I'm sure all of the questions were prepared, and they were super softy questions. I mean, if he had to deal with anything Trump does, he'd be in trouble. But that being said, I think he's ready. I think they're going to wheel him out there, and I think we're going to have some debates. I, I don't think it's going to go well for him, um, but I mean, I mean, poetic math, it's, uh, it's September, what, September 4th or 5th today? Fifth. We, I mean, there's not much time left. I think it's a little crazy that the debates haven't happened yet. There hasn't been one debate yet. I mean, they're really delaying this. Um, also, I don't know if you noticed, um, the debates are already set up like against Trump. It's like, you, you might as well call it home turf for Joe Biden. He's got super friendly moderators. It's, it's, it's already ridiculous, but we just want to see him get out there. I, I just, I'm curious. I'm curious if it's going to happen. I think it will though. Now that I've seen Joe get out behind a podium, string some sentences together. It seems like he's perfectly capable. So let's not let Nancy Pelosi or anybody else say that it's a possibility and an idea that he doesn't debate. It's, I mean, it's mandatory, right? It would be crazy. Madness. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I think, I guess I would say, you know, this year's been so crazy, 2020. I would say that's just, my take is I'll believe it when I see it. It's just, I mean, it's sad. There's so many things in life that I feel like that with right now, and and it's it's weird to to live life that way. But yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. I just, I'm not sure. Got to do it. It's got to oh, happen. I'm with you. There. It's got to happen. It'd be weird to break that tradition. All right. Question number three comes from Speak Mike SA on Twitter. Oh, that's a tough one. I've I've uh, that's a friend of mine. Um, could it be um, Nika say here? Let me see it really quick. Let me just oh, take a look I'm at sorry. it. I'm sorry. Yeah, let me just look at it because uh, I love this guy. This guy's great. Um, speaker Nikise. I think it's at Speaker Nikise on Twitter. 
I probably needed to look into like my eyes because I totally saw an M there instead of an R and an N. And, th- and this is how you know the show is live, folks. You know, we're we're fumbling over names. Yep. All right. His question is, how did all of this begin for you? Well, I don't want to go back to when I was a kid, so let's just talk about podcasting since it's episode 50. Woo-woo! Um, I was the type of kid, uh, uh, elementary school, I had a tape recorder, and I would put in blank tapes, and I would press record, and I would do all kinds of sketches, and I would do uh, voice impersonations, and I would like slap it all together. Um, I remember I used to do this news news helicopter voice, and to get the helicopter sound in the background, I would put it on snow on the TV. Okay, youngsters, snow back in the day, we only had like four channels, okay? And we got the channels through an antenna on the top of the television, an antenna. Yes, that's right. This metal thing that stuck out and it plugged into the TV. Anyways, even though there were only four channels, you still had channels in between the channels that were just snow. It would just go... So if you ever watch Poltergeist, I know, what's Poltergeist? It's a very old movie. But anyways, that's one of the famous times when they used snow in a movie was in Poltergeist. So anyways, I would, I would do all kinds of skits and sketches and things like that. Uh, in my early 20s, I was a filmmaker, and I, I really enjoyed that. I, I did a cable access pr- program in a show. And when podcasting came about, I was like, oh, I am doing that. I thought it was fantastic. Um, What I believe podcasting is, I believe it's just an extension of social media where uh, we can kind of have a community and we can all speak together and people can um, get together and share ideas and share fellowship and have a community together. Um, The other thing is, is you can let your your voice be heard. Everybody's. There are a lot of podcasts out there right now. G. Moody, uh, my my famous friend from This, That, and the Third, he's a podcaster. I'm a podcaster. We got together. We did some podcasting. I'm looking forward in the next 50 episodes to doing more uh, phone interviews and in-person interviews with fellow podcasters. So, oh boy, long long story. I'll wrap it up with I've always been that type of guy to get my mouth on the mic. And when podcasting came about, it was right up my alley. It's like pirate radio. You, you do your own, you do what you want to do, and you broadcast it out to the universe. Um, the one thing I will say that I'm a little bit behind times on is the YouTube. Um, I've got a studio. It's all set up for YouTube, but I haven't dropped the coinage to get the equipment to do it. And... I am a little bit more of the fan of the audio medium. And uh, so, yeah, it's a podcast right now. And if you're listening, maybe you're a fan of the audio medium or you're watching this on YouTube to my still image flipping me off because I should have my ugly mug up there. All right, enough of that. What's the next one? All right, the next one comes from at Coach Scott 619 on Twitter. Maybe he's a San Diego person. I don't know. 619. Yes. Scott, Coach Scott, repping San Diego. His question is the 2020 election predictions for Minnesota and Wisconsin and the impact on the rioting will have on them. Okay, so I think what he's basically saying is uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin, um, 
we had some terrible incidents and there's been rioting. What's going to happen? How is that going to affect the election? Trump. 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 I mean, we've got lawlessness going on. I, I, I 100% have never liked the militarization of the police. Um, and the police need to be trained better. I think my full words on this, and I want you to bear with me. Don't don't drop dead. Don't turn off the don't turn off the uh, the program. Our police officers need to be paid way more than they're paid right now. Yep, and they also need to be held to a way higher standard than they are right now. They need to have no immunity, and they need to be trained, trained, trained so much more than they are now. So what I'm saying is we need higher quality professionals in our police force policing us as community stewards of the community to protect and serve, protect and serve. And I think that's gotten lost with the militarization and just the I don't even know if you want what you want to call it the 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 mill just this this ramp this this kind of this uh, rotating carousel of people going in and out of jail and the cops can't trust the, the citizens and the citizens don't trust the cops but to me regardless of all that the rioting has been terrible police reforms are one thing but burning buildings down in your own community is a whole other and in particular the democrat controlled cities What's strange, what's strange to me on a national level is when are the local politicians going to be blamed? I think it's very strange that somehow Trump is to blame for the police activity and the riots in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And and what I what I mean by that question is, is I don't think Trump is being blamed. I think that that might be what the media says, and that might be what people who get on television say or get a mic in front of their face say, but I think there's an awful lot of people that are seeing this in real time and seeing the reaction of their Democratic politicians allowing this to happen, right, and not being leaders and not being present in a time where they're needed. They're just blaming Trump. So to me, uh, I think it turns... It turns Minnesota, it turns Wisconsin uh, heavily to Trump from all these incidents. All right. Question number five comes from at Navigator712 on Twitter. The question is, episode 44 about COVID and scientists' greed. Any more insights now that we are day... One million. One million yeah. <laughs> of this 15-day shutdown? What, what day are we in of this 15-day shutdown? Remember, remember, 15 days to flatten the curve. And if you're going to point fingers, a lo- in a, I actually point fingers at Trump in a lot of ways. I mean, he, he's the one who said, you know, it's just going to be for this short time. He's the one that put these scientists out in front. And, and isn't that interesting that he puts the scientists out in front that we're going by the scientists' recommendations, and yet Trump still gets killed for not following the quote-unquote science. Isn't that interesting? Do I have any more insights on the greed and all of that? I don't. I don't. And the reason I don't is 
I was talking with a friend of mine, the friend that I uh, that I did a FaceTime to, to say, madness, is we are in a fire hose of information right now where we are getting, you can research anything for any amount of time, and you can find five different threads that go in five different directions that lead to five different outcomes. And it's all related to COVID. Masks, mask efficacy, uh, masks, uh, do they work? Do they not work? Vaccines, oh, who? some people are really waiting for a vaccine. Other people, hey, I don't want a vaccine. Keep your little, keep your little abor- abortion animal matter out of my body. It's madness right now. And it's hard because you don't, we've been lied to so much from what used to be reputable news sources, and anybody can just do a couple little clicks and find out that they're lying to you. And at this point, they're not giving bad information. They're straight up lying to you. So in this day and age where some governors of some states have actually banned hydroxychloroquine, something that's been on the market, been available, been used for 50 years, and they're banning it, and yet there's actual peer-reviewed studies, right? So that's the top of the top. That's the creme de la creme of science that show that hydroxychloroquine plus zinc and a Z-pack works extremely well to fight COVID, especially early on. So why do I have no insights? Because, I mean, I'm just like you every single day looking down these rabbit holes of Bill Gates who somehow pumps millions into all of these these supposed government organizations, these health organizations across the globe, and they're pumping vaccines, but it doesn't quite seem like COVID is the pandemic that it's been led to. But yet here we are, still in shutdown, kids not going to school. It's madness. It's very strange. And, you know, the, the, the conversation before we go to the to the who's controlling the mechanism is the whys. It's, it's odd. And at some point, even rational human beings have to look up and say, hey, is this all just to get Trump? Is this all just to ruin a Trump presidency? Because at some point, I appreciate COVID is real. I'm talking about the reaction to it and all of the crazy lies that have been told regarding it and where we are right now. All right, all right. That's a tough, that's a tough, I could go on for a long time on COVID right now. Let's take a break. I'm out of beer. Let's get me a little bit more sauced up for the last few questions. Thank you, everybody, for being here for episode number 50. Thank you, Poetic Math, for putting up with me. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for putting up with me. We'll be right back. Hey, have you ever thought about a vaporizer to consume your dry herb? It's the least damaging way to enjoy your flower. A vaporizer takes 99% of the carcinogens out of the smoking process. And I know the perfect vaporizer just for you. Smoke and Jays developed the perfect vaporizer over years of trial and effort. Click on the link in the show notes. It will take you to the smokeandjays.com perfect vaporizer page. 
and a 15% discount will automatically be applied to your purchase. It's palm sized for portability and it has three different temperature settings to customize your vaporization experience. It truly is the perfect vaporizer. Oh yes, episode 50. We're back. I got a new I got a fresh can of beer in me. We're we're going to hit these questions. Um, sadly, sadly, I'm not drinking as much Jägermeister and Red Bull as I used to. Uh, for those longtime listeners, they would know that uh, I used to maybe get a little saucy with the Red Bull and Jägermeister when I would podcast, and get a little loose on the mic, and I would always say that it was my dream to have Red Bull or and or Jägermeister be a sponsor of the show. Maybe, maybe. Fingers still crossed, still hopeful. We'll see. I, I wouldn't even care about the money. It would just be really cool to have Red Bull and Jägermeister sponsor my show. Someday, I really want, you know, I tell people this. I work for myself. I have for 23 years now. If if for some reason my, my company crashed and I couldn't work for myself anymore, my dream job would be to work for Red Bull. I think that they are one of the coolest companies I've ever seen. Are they a beverage company or are they just a full-blown content marketer? Because look at all the events that Red Bull creates just to advertise their Red Bull. It's like a whole separate company on itself. And I'm just so super respectful of their content marketing strategy. I think that's what it is. I would maybe someday I'll get a Red Bull marketing exec and I'll be able to ask them these questions. That's what this podcast is all about. It's about doing what I want to do. So it may, maybe a listener out there knows uh, somebody in Red Bull land and you can connect me. All right, poetic math. I'll just keep rambling unless you interrupt me and fire another question my way. All right. We got number six. It's from. Mike Lawless, 1960 on Twitter. The Truth Doctor. If you guys want to uh, check out a great episode, uh, check out the interview I did of The Truth Doctor. Um, let's see. It was just a couple episodes back. He drops some... I mean, this guy is a critical, logical thinker um, and, and not... Me, I like to use a lot of common sense. I say I have a master's degree in common sense. Mike knows a lot about the history and the whys and the hows of psychological thought and philosophy. He's just an amazing guy. I really liked that episode. You know, the two of you, it was it was a really nice combo. You guys complimented each other really well. I, I thought that was uh, one of the better episodes. If I were to rank the, uh, the top 50, if I were to rank the 50 podcasts I've done, uh, that one would be in the top five for sure. His question is, if the Antifa and BLM violence is harming the Democrat position for the election, what is their motive and which sponsors are really supporting and funding them? It's a, that is such a great and complex question. It's tough, it's tough to answer because I am not, I'm not, I'm not in, I'm not in the know, if you will, um, He's implying that there's a there's a control structure, which I'm not sure there is. But let's but let's say that there is a control structure. Okay. At the very least, we can say that it's clear Democratic governors and Democratic mayors are allowing it. They're they're kind of uh, you know I, I I told somebody the other day 
actually, I think I was talking with you. Um, and if Trump loses, right, and uh, conservatives take to the streets, that shit's going to get clamped down real quick. And that could lead to serious violence. So what I think is they've done this to get Trump. And it's backfired on them. I mean, how many times? This is what's absolutely insane and madness. is of, of the last four years, if people are paying attention, time after time after time, Trump has got the better of his enemy. And they've tried nefarious tricks. That, I mean, Russian collusion, which was actually started by, Democrat, by the Democrats colluding with Russia. All the subsources were Russian sources. It's absolute madness. Time and time and time again, he owns them. And now this, we're playing with people's lives here, and it does seem to me that they're inciting, they're encouraging um, these rioters, these protesters. Again, protest, fantastic. You go out in the day, do you know how powerful it is to take the streets during the day and in mass numbers make your voice known? You get organizers, you have rallies, you have speeches. Things can really get done from that method of speech. But when the, when the sun goes down, right, you don't start fires, you don't take over the streets, you don't obstruct traffic, you don't close down I-5, the major interstate between Canada and Mexico. So they've been allowed to continue on with this type of unruly protest, if you will. If you want to call that protesting, some would call it rioting. I think it hurts them. And I think it's backfiring. I think it's all to get Trump to create a situation where they can say, look how crazy America is because of Trump. The problem is, and, and, and I've thought about this recently, you know, the whys. Why do, why do they keep getting fooled? And I think that they're using an old playbook. I think that they're, they're stuck in this mode of thinking that's before um, social media and modern technology. And... Uh, there's just too much information these days to counter their mass media, their their narrative that they're throwing out there. And the only people that they're duping um, are people that are kind of low information. They're they're just getting a feed from from these beacons the, that are just lying to people constantly. And so they think, oh, Trump's bad. They don't know much. Oh, you know, Trump's the president, so Trump's it's Trump's fault. But there are so many more of us that see that it's the Jay Inslees of the world. It's the it's the Seattle mayor. It's the L.A. mayor. It's the Portland. It's, it's the Portland mayor, uh, Ted Wheeler. And then you look deeper into it, just one little layer, and and people are blown away when I say, "Do you know who the police commissioner is in Portland?" And they're like, "Oh no, I don't know who that is." Oh yeah, a couple years ago, Ted Wheeler decided he was going to be the police commissioner. So he's the mayor and the police commissioner. So he stands down all of his police force, right? The Oregon State Patrol leaves because they don't feel it's safe for their officers because Ted Wheeler doesn't like support them. It's 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 absolute madness. So kind of to his point or or to to answer his question directly, they're really dumb and they're working with an old playbook and it's backfiring. And I just I don't know why they keep shooting themselves in the foot, um, maybe it's working. Maybe all these polls are real, 
and that they're actually through this lying, cheating, you know, not caring about our community and the safety of citizens, they are actually squeaking out to 50% poll numbers right now. Maybe. But I don't think so. I mean, I just today, have you ever, uh, um, Pomo, have you seen the boat parades? Yeah. They're getting a little crazy. Yeah. We're talking about gigantic displays of support for President Trump. Gigantic displays. Okay, and I think that you point out to me all the time, there's a lot of left-leaning voices that have a microphone, like Tim Pool, Eric Weinstein, you know, people Brett, like... Brett, his Brett brother, Excuse yeah. me, Brett, Brett Weinstein. People that lean left, that like have like Demo- you know, card-carrying Democratic Party member uh, official credentials that are completely against what their party is doing. Oh, yeah, and some of them lean far left. It's not just like they're just little left. I mean... Brett Weinstein is for sure calls himself a progressive liberal. I mean, by definition. And, and, and I don't know why. I mean, it's not wrong to be patriotic, to love your country. And yeah. it's okay to be a Democrat and love your country. It's just strange the way that they've propped up voices within the DNC that are anti-American, that, that don't like this country, that think this country is bad. Uh, and it's and it's strange because the country is cor- the the government is corrupt in a lot of ways, but that's not the ways that they're saying it's corrupt, and it's it's just very strange because I think that inherently we are good people, we are trying to progress and be a better country, um, and this whole burn it down, tear it down, I don't know that doesn't go anywhere besides anarchy, um, and. And, and out of the anarchy, if the Democrats win, you will now have a bureaucratic class that will never give up power, ever. And, and I mean, that's what we're fighting for, I think, in this particular election. All right, all if, right. If so many people see that, though, and like what you're saying, you know, can, they, can the leaders of the DNC really be that ignorant, though, that they can't see that it's backfiring, you know, at this point? And, it, and can they pivot? Or is well, it just they can't, they're too far down that road and well, they can't pivot at this point? They have tried recently. I think they're way too late on it. Yeah. And, and the, the weird thing is, is they're so dumb that they've got audio and clips of them saying the exact opposite thing. So... And it's the same old thing that lost Hillary Clinton her election. I mean, remember, uh, Barack Obama was never for gay marriage until the polls flipped and gay marriage was more popular. So they, they just, they're malleable by, by polls. Polls are manipulated. They're not respectable in the fact that they don't stand for anything. And so now, yeah, Joe Biden's come out recently and he's denounced the violence and he's talked against. So you can see them trying to pivot I just think it's way too late. Yeah, I mean, but I, I, I mean, he still has not, you know, said the name Antifa or, you know, Black Lives Matter as a group, though, and denounced those particular groups. I mean, specifically Antifa. Well, he, specific, he refuses. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of nuance to BLM. There's right. a lot of nuance there. And um, I'll be the first to say it. Black Lives Matter. And I very much... Um, am empathetic towards that movement and the legitimate claims. Um, I don't care what the statistics say on police interactions and deadly conflict versus white, black, whatever. There's too much video evidence of black lives being taken 
um, irresponsibly due to poor police training. Something has to change in this country. Again, I don't like the militarization of the police. If that's something we have to have, great. Let's pay them more and let's scrutinize the hell out of them. Let's make it so that it's a it's a great job. You can make a great living from it. But damn it, you're going to be one of the best in society. You know how easy it is to become a police officer, Pomo? I've heard a little bit about it. It's not. It's not, not that hard. It's not that hard. And you're out there, so you got you got people that don't go to college. They don't go to the military, and they go and they pass a drug test, pass a physical, and they get right into the police force, right? Because they've got a, a graduate, they've, they've got a high school diploma. It's not that hard. I've known a lot of people that became police officers, and I'll just say that they weren't exactly the highest quality people that I, that I knew, okay? Yeah. There's a problem there, and to ignore that there's a problem there is ridiculous, now, there's a lot of nuance, so I've said all that. I have empathy and plight and support for that movement. But there are organizers that have co-opted that particular plight, that particular real thing, and they have other agendas. Yeah. And people need to see that, and that's, that's why it's so hard to talk about Black Lives Matter. You have to almost talk about it as, okay, are we talking about Black Lives Matter as a, um, a movement, um, a movement of consciousness because of uh, police brutality and social injustice? Or are we talking about Black Lives Matter, the political organization? Because the political organization has completely co-opted the empathetic and conscious raising movement that, that must occur, right? They, they've t taken in all this money and they've funneled it to the Joe Biden campaign. It's absolute lunacy considering he's the one that said black people were predators in the 90s and came up with the third strike red legislation and passed it. And who, who came up with legislation that started to bite back on that god-awful legislation that was produced in the 90s? Who? Trump. Trump, it's madness. It's madness. The very people that want social justice um, reform, or uh, you know, I'm not I'm not using the right term, but police reform, need to be going to the guy that's shown that he'll do something. But instead, it's been co-opted by a Marxist organization that hate America and want to burn it down because they want political power. And they're causing more divisiveness between the races. It's, it's, it's madness. I would love to have a long-form discussion with somebody. Maybe we'll try to get uh, somebody on just to talk about these issues. Yeah. Um, but, but that's kind of where I'm at with BLM is I'm a, I'm a big supporter, but at the same time, I cannot be a supporter of the political organization because it stands against everything that I believe in. So it's, it's a really weird dichotomy. And again, your low information voter, your, your person who's just reading scribes and getting the news from, from tidbits on the internet, your mainstream media, they, they don't know about that nuance. And it's so important to see. Yep. Yeah, I think it is becoming clear to more people, though, what you're saying. I mean, a lot more people, because, because we have alternative ways of getting information now, and, and, and maybe that's why, maybe they really are that ignorant that they don't think people are getting the information they're actually getting and seeing what they're actually seeing. It's, 
Well, we're going to find out. We're yep. going to find out in November. Yep. All right. Question seven comes in from at Danny Gomez on Twitter. The question is, what was the most rewarding and most challenging moment of running your own business? I read through I read through these questions uh, once. I kind of looked them over a little bit. This is my boy Herb on Twitter. I, uh, one of my oldest uh, Twitter friends. This is the hardest question for me. Because I just move forward, I kind of forget a lot. I don't. I'm not a very good historian of my own experience. I just kind of plot forward and I solve problems one at a time. I would say um, rewarding experience uh, was uh, there was a time when I consciously realized that I didn't have a problem paying bills. That I like really appreciated. The fact that I could buy groceries, that I could pay for electricity, I could pay for water, I could pay for all of those things, and it wasn't, it was stress free. And that was kind of, that was kind of, I made it, my I made it moment, to be honest with you. And I know that a lot of people are, are struggling with that. And all, all I can say is, is save, be responsible with your finances. And you will appreciate someday that you will have money where your utility bills will not be a big deal. There will just be a check you write or something that comes automatically out of my checking account. And I don't know if that answers this question, but that that was something where it was like uh, many years ago I had just had an appreciation. Um, I would say the other thing that was uh, rewarding was... Um, some of the employees I've had that have gone on to bigger and better things and just kind of after doing it for so long, uh, being a part of people's lives, um, even if they even if they don't appreciate it and, and thank me, um, I had a guy that was homeless um, couch surfing and and I knew him from another situation. And he asked me for a job. And I said, you know what? You're a highly capable person. Um, yeah, come on in here, because I do. I need somebody. I need somebody good like you. And he worked for me for, I think, a year and a half or two years. And when he left, he was in a, he had his own apartment. He was, you know, m far more stable than when he was homeless. And just being able to impact people's lives with the platform that I created um, just through my own hard work and imagination, um, I'd say that that's super that's super rewarding as well. Um, did he ask? Uh, yeah, he said uh, the most challenging as well, if you could come up with a... Challenging is dealing with uh, government bureaucracies. Um, I made a mistake in Michigan when I had a store in Michigan. Um, it, clearly, it said that with... Um, with my license that I could sell uh, tobacco. And it didn't make sense to me because in Washington, um, well, no, it did make sense to me that it was a license, but the license was super cheap. And in Washington, it was expensive. So I was like, okay. And, 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 I, and I put the tobacco on the shelves and I didn't, I was so busy opening up a new store, I didn't look into it more. And, um, the law was that you needed to buy tax-stamped tobacco. And I bought that. 70% of the tobacco I had bought was tax-stamped. 30% I bought some hookah shisha. And I'm sorry to go into the weeds, but I really want to give this answer. That 
to the best I can. And so I was in violation. And they came in and they raided my business. I was only open for like two months and they came in, right? So, hmm. you know, I was dealing with people that, that didn't like my business and they wanted to come in. And it was very strange for the fact that it was a simple licensing mistake. I clearly had the majority of my inventory was above board, and I made a mistake on a small percentage of it. And instead of offering me an opportunity to make it right and to get in line with what the state wanted, in Michigan, they confiscated all my inventory and they prosecuted me. And um, I actually have, uh, they, they found something else in my store. Uh, I was selling these, uh, these little pipes that had like uh, uh, sandblasted logos of sports teams. And so the tobacco enforcement people grabbed those and charged me with counterfeiting. So trademark infringement. Right. And they prosecuted me. And I got a felony. I had to plead to the one that I wasn't guilty of. See, because, I mean, how are you supposed to know? Uh, the, I mean, I, I've got these hand-blown, these custom creations. Wouldn't that be on the manufacturer, not on the retailer? Right. right? Okay. Anyways, I had to fly out to Michigan, go to jail. Government bureaucracy and kind of dealing with the man when the man wants to steamroll you, there is nothing you can do about it. When you, when you deal with... Um, the the government bureaucracy and it's set up against you or it doesn't you know it's just black and white and um it just it was a, it was unfortunate so i would say that that's one of the i've been selling tobacco for 23 years in washington state legally above board pr properly licensed um dealing with those government institutions i've got another story of uh in washington state they um they confiscated CBD products from me. And they came in and they said, well, these are vapor products. And I said, no, 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 they're not vapor products. You put them under your tongue. You take them sanguinely, you, you know, orally. And they, they didn't know anything about it at the time. So they confiscated them and asked questions later. Took me a year and a half. And I was the, I, I mean, my lobbying the state made them stop regulating something that was out of their purview, meaning they basically had a vapor license and they were going into these stores and they were regulating the vapor license, but they were also looking at other products. And I, had, I it took me, I had to go up the ladder of the bureaucracy many times until I finally got with this one person in a room in Olympia and we hashed it out and I explained to them, they, they kept telling me, oh, well, no, the FDA says this, the DA says that. And I said, yeah, but you're not the ones who are supposed to enforce that. And they finally agreed with me that that was wrong of them to take my inventory, that it wasn't a vapor product, that, it, you know, it, and uh, I, so I, at long, that, was, that was terribly personal, and uh, I don't really share a lot of stuff about my, my business exploits very often. No, I think so, it's good. So, Sh share stories about you. So, the, so there you go. There's some smoking jays. That's uh, what asking. Stories for. from the gridiron. All right, we've got question number eight from Atlanta Crew on Twitter. Question is: This is this is my boy. This is my boy. This is this is the official fact checker of the conservative hippie podcast, Atlanta Crew. My boy Eduardo. Nice. What do progressives need to do to win over more moderate voters like yourself? 
Okay. I mean, it's a great question, right? Yeah. We're going to go roundabouts. Uh, poetic math, don't let me forget to answer the question. Okay. But I want to first say what the big problem is on why it's such a hard question to answer. The problem is, is that they missed their opportunity in 2016. The DNC is a corrupt organization. It does not represent the very members that make it up. In other words, it's constituency. So you remember 2016, it's pretty obvious to see who had the momentum, who had the crowds behind them. It was Bernie Sanders and it was Donald Trump. Okay. There's only one politician who has had rallies and enthusiasm close to Donald Trump, and that's Bernie Sanders. They screwed him. And he bent over and he said, Oh, thank you for the screw very much. Thank you. And all of his voters, they were all disenfranchised. And that's because the DNC is in complete control of who comes out of that party, that nomination. Whereas the Republican Party, they had this guy come in that no one liked. He was an outsider. They were all against him. And he went to the convention and they said, well, you know what? We're going to do some DNC shit. We're going to change some rules. We're going to get this Trump guy out of here. And he said basically, hey, take a hike. I'll run as an independent. You know, I'm I'm your party's nominee. And they begrudgingly, right? A lot of them, a lot of them straight up revolted. Yeah. But he became the party's nominee. That didn't happen with the DNC. The DNC is a corrupt organization. They decide, the power players decide who is their party's nominee. So fast forward, and they didn't take care of it back then. And now they've they've changed some rules for their convention, but nothing happened. The people, the, the, the Democrats, they spent all their time being so angry with Donald Trump, they forgot to look at themselves. They forgot to look at their organization. They forgot to look at how corrupt the, the, the organization was that they vote for, that they're a part of, that they're a party to, that they, you know, that, that's their card, right? Yeah. Democrats, that, we have a two-party system. It sucks. It sucks bad. But they saw that their organization was corrupt, and instead of doing something about it, taking to the streets to do something about it, to get the Clintonistas out of there, to get the Tony Podestas out of there, to get the Donna Shalalas out of there, to get all this old guard out of there so they could get this fresh new blood in, they didn't do that. They focused all on Trump. And, I mean, partially... It's probably that's what the DNC wanted them to do, right? Let around. Their constituents are let around. Mm. Now, let me fast forward to this year's presidential nomination. There was one candidate, Bernie Sanders, I guess you could say, but there was another candidate that was wildly intriguing and had a lot of grassroots momentum, but was completely stifled by the party. Tulsi Gabbard, a female person of color with straight-up anti-war, street cred, been there, done that credentials, okay? She would be a formidable opponent to Trump and would most likely beat him with the right vice presidential candidate. But because their party is so corrupt, 
instead of uplifting this bright new voice, their party is so corrupt and owned by the wrong people, they actually stifled her voice, pushed her down, okay? So let's let's get back to the question. Yes. Ask me the question again. I'm going to set, set set it up with those words. I mean, it doesn't sound like you're going to be able to answer the question. I know. Go ahead. Let's ask it again. <laughs> the question is, what do they need to do to win you over? So what he's saying is, is 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 Eduardo knows that I am in the middle. There's a lot of people out there that think, ah, oh, he's right wing. This and that. No, no, no. I am very much a middler, and the the problem is the party, the DNC. So. How can they win me over is they need to change over the power structure. Now, you might say, oh, well, the young voices like Ocasio-Cortez or, or Ilan Omar. or No, no, no. Those are the ones that were allowed to come up because of the power structure that was in play. I'm talking about real patriotic voices that believe in America, believe in the Constitution, just have a different method of applying government. I mean, the, the, the only way a two-party system works is if we are all on the same team and this side, this, this party, thinks that we need to uh, apply, apply government in a certain way, and this side, this, this group, thinks we need to apply government in a different way. And we come together with a base respect because we, we're all patriots, we all love America, and we kind of quibble over the edges, right? And in some ways, all of a sudden, you take good ideas from one group and uh, good ideas from another group, and somehow they weave their way in, and that's, where, that's, what we've, that's what's got us to this point. Yeah. Now, the last 20 or 30 years, probably 30 years if you want to talk to some people, some people might say 40 years, some people might say longer, okay? I don't want to get into a history lesson. But something has happened where you call it the military-industrial complex, call it corporatism, call it whatever you want to. The, you, you, it's, something has happened to where our parties are no longer the voices of the people, okay? And they don't have the people's best interest in mind. They're taking money from foreign governments. They're taking money from corporations. They're taking money from these NGOs, these, these super creepy shadow organizations, right? Now they've got super PACs. It's, it's like a business. Oh, you, what do you want to do when you grow up, little Johnny? Well, I want to be a senator and, and rule the world and make a lot of money. It's not supposed to make a lot of money. You're not supposed to make a lot of money. It's service to your country. Let me ask you this. I believe Donald Trump is serving our country. I don't hear him say it very often. There is one person that I've heard in the last four years that literally says that they are running for president to serve their country. Do you know who that is? Who's that? Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah. And to your point about kind of the middle-ish, I think she was the only one who just voted present in Donald Trump's impeachment. There, the, the, we can argue all day about how liberal Tulsi Gabbard was, right? She came, she's good with Bernie Sanders. Yeah. So there's a lot, but in some ways, you know, there there is some propaganda from the the Republican side that makes Bernie Sanders out to be somebody maybe he's not. Bernie's kind of a mystery, and do you know why he's a mystery? Because he always goes away at a certain point and lets somebody else take over. So he's got all these great speeches, and he gets everybody excited, but when the rubber hits the road, Bernie's nowhere to be found to actually find out where he stands. 
So, I mean, th- that's that. I guess that's my point is um, they need to turn over their organization. The DNC needs to turn it over because right now, from my perspective as a midler, and I know a lot of people like me, um, th- there's something going on that's unattainable, and there's no way you can vote for a Democrat. And I'm talking up and down the ticket. I'm talking that it's gotten so bad that you don't know, you don't want to make a mistake because somebody's got some flowery language in the voters' pamphlet. No, they are. It, the DNC has ruined the entire party. It's rotten at its core. And the only way to get it back is for actual Democrats, right? Real people that, that like Eduardo, like Landacru, that know the policies and have real beliefs that aren't Republican but are Democratic, but it doesn't, doesn't mind arguing and debating with people, for people like that to take it over. I don't know if that's possible. They're all, they're all, I mean, they are literally the head of a snake. They are the head of a corrupt organization. They've all gotten rich. They're all in bed with each other. They are, from the questions earlier, they're hurting Americans. Hmm. What's the, what's the goal there? What's the goal there to Mike Lawless's question? Why would they have this goal? Is it all just to get Trump? It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's. They they aren't seeing the world. They they don't have a mirror. I think that they're so stuck in their group think wherever in these ivory towers, wherever Hillary Clinton and the Podestas are. I mean, just think about it. Just recently, uh, it came out in the news that they war gamed the they war gamed the election, and Podesta says that they're gonna that the his scenario was that they contest it. I mean, they're all. They're letting this out there. Meanwhile, they're trying to say that Trump's going to steal the election. It's it's just very strange. It's very transparent. All you have to do is look one layer, one layer underneath that mainstream media news source, just one layer underneath, and then that'll perk you up and be like, huh, and then you'll look another layer, and then you'll look another layer, because it's all very clear to see. It doesn't take a lot of digging but you do have to have a shovel. Like you have to at least put the shovel in your hand. Yeah, I think something you said too it struck me was just the the patriotic speak. You know, like listen to the language from the people and what they're saying. Does it sound patriotic? Does it not? And and it, that's becoming clearer and clearer. I think to to everyone, you know, to the public is it, it it there's a loss of patriotism in the Democratic Party. Well, and. And some sort of hatred for the country. It's it's very strange, the way that this narrative has been created. That there are white supremacists everywhere. They keep saying, to your point, when you brought up Antifa, they keep saying there's these white supremacists everywhere, the KKK and white nationalists everywhere. But all I see is Antifa, and I don't I don't quite understand where it's at, and I don't see it, and I'm willing to. I'm willing to talk with somebody that wants to explain that you know my um, my privilege prevents me from seeing that, you know, if that's their argument. But what I'm saying is I don't see. Uh, it's almost like you know I just did my last episode was on Charlottesville, right? And uh, we have free speech in this country, and the reason I like free speech is because retards and idiots can go out and parade in public and let everybody know they're a bunch of ignorant twats. Mm. And we can laugh at them with their little parade that they have in this little southern town once a year. 
I don't see it beyond that. And yet there's this fervent uproar about white supremacy. And Joe Biden keeps talking about it as if we've got some sort of country that would never, I mean, that treats black people just terribly. We elected a black person as our president and not not by like some sort of all the lawyers got together and he just squeaked by talking about an overwhelming mandate like America, the great country that we are, elected a black president. That's bonkers. Yeah. So it's just it's just a strange narrative that's been placed out there. And I think there's some statistics that would back that up as well. If you compared like over the decades from the turn of the century in the early 1900s, like I think they have some statistics I've heard thrown around out there about like KKK registered members. And it, I want to say around the turn of the century, it was around like four million. Wow. And I think now it's down. To like, can I guess? Yeah, can I guess? Go ahead. It's got to be less than a hundred thousand. Oh no, it's like less than ten thousand. Yeah, registered KKK. That's what I'm saying. Is so, it's, I mean, it's just not something you see. I see it in prison, like mm-hmm. prison life. But I haven't been to prison. I that's I guess that's just from Hollywood, right? But you hear about the gangs and the white supremacists. And the, but I mean that's prison life. That's not out there in corporate America or in our government institutions or just out on the street. Yeah. It's 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 befuddling. All right, we are we are getting to the end of this particular episode. Right. I am drawing weary. Do we have any more questions? Yeah, we got two more. The next one, it doesn't have who this one came from or where. It just says, "What is your opinion as a business owner of the protest culture?" Okay, well we were we're kind of we kind of touched on that a few times, right? Um, protest culture is good as long as there is debate. Protest culture is fantastic, as long as you're mace- making your voice heard in a peaceful manner. You I mean, the, the country's founded on protest. So I, I absolutely love protest culture. The problem is with the young people, sometimes they're, when you're protesting, you're not willing to have an argument. And I've gone down here in our town of Olympia, and I've talked with people that are, you know, wanted to fund the police. And, and while I'm talking to one, another one is writing death to America on the sidewalk. And, you know, at some point I roll my eyes. But when I was talking with this young person, I'm a 47-year-old man. I've got life, in, life experience as a business owner, as a father, as a property owner. You know, I've done a lot of things in life. And this girl was, I mean, probably 22, somewhere in there. And she kept talking to me and telling me that she was trying to inform me. And, and before you, if you want to think about race, I'll let you know. She was a white girl, okay? And, and I kept trying to talk to her and have a conversation, but she kept interrupting and saying that she was trying to inform me, that I needed to be informed. It was very strange. And to this person's question, this anonymous question, sometimes protest culture terrifies me as a business owner. You have to, you have to, I, I, I always make sure that in my business it stays apolitical. We help everybody um, um, the same. I, I believe very much in treating each person um, as, an, as, as their own entity. In other words, treat, treat others like you treat yourself. Well, help me out with the phrase. I'm, I'm feeling like Joe yeah. Biden or George Bush right now. Are you getting un- golden rule here? Thank you. Do unto others as others would do unto you, right? We treat everybody as an individual that comes through. 
protest culture gets a little squirrely. It gets a little squirrely, right? If, if, if somebody, if you are perceived to do something wrong against the mob and the mob comes after you, your life can get a little squirrely at that time. And we're seeing a lot of that right now in society where, where people are running with narratives that may not be factually based. They may be feelings based. Yeah. And, and they're not stopping to have a conversation, a logical conversation. They're just getting a bunch of people around. Now, then all of a sudden, two people becomes three people, and four people becomes five people. And once you get that sixth person, well, we're all right. They're, they're completely right. They can't be talked to because, of course, they're right. There's six of them. They all know, and they all have the same feelings. And we need more kind of honest debate and discussion. Yeah, I, I was talking with someone a few days ago, and, and we were talking about something related similar to this, where it's really difficult to get into a conversation with someone if they're not going to at least extend you the level of respect that you're giving them. So if you, you're like you were mentioning that young girl you were speaking with, and if she wouldn't even allow you to, you know, enter into the conversation as an equal, like what's the, what's the incentive for somebody to want to enter into that conversation? If it's going to, if it's going to be, you know, let off right from the beginning that that is how they're going to approach the situation is that you're not equal to them. Yeah. And then continually remind you of that as you try still to have a conversation, like what's the incentive for you to do that? What's just look at, uh, recently, uh, with the restaurant incident, I can't remember what state it was in. It was on the East coast somewhere. Um, or in Portland, where they started walking down streets, and they're telling people, you know, out of your house, onto the street, out of your house. And it's, it's a literal mob. There is no discussion. It's either with us or against us, and, and you, you can't even discern what their message is, what, what, what they're even talking about. Um, it's, it's a very difficult time that we're living in right now, and I just think that we will come out of it. Um, I just think that Sometimes the young people, they need to recognize that there's a bit of a privilege there. If they want to talk about everybody's privilege, um, they're standing in streets and spitting on cops. And it's like they're not getting their heads bashed in, right? They're, yeah. they're, 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 they're being allowed to do this. You know, let's look at the past. Let's look at what people went through, what human beings went through in the 60s for real for real tangible progress and something that was needed, okay? They were really fighting something. In some ways, uh, the, the protests nowadays are it's almost like fits. It's almost like fits, and, and we need to stop, and we need to have more talks. All right, what's yeah. the next? I feel like I'm getting myself into trouble. I mean, that's the thing about this protest culture is, I, I mean, I can't even feel, I, I feel like whenever I even discuss it, that I'm endangering myself. Yeah. And I think a lot of us are like that, where you know, we're just trying to have intellectual, we're trying to have common sense-based conversations to try to figure it out. Yeah. You know, but at you know, at any point a sound bite can be taken and the the mob might come after you. And that is terrifying. It's terrifying. Yep. All right, last one. It's from an anonymous source. Do you think Austin Steinbart is Q? Oh God, we have to end with this. Is this going to be a long one? Okay, it's you not. Could make it make it just a yes I, or no. I think it's going to be a short one. I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know something very important that you don't need to answer that question. 
that sometimes you can take in information without casting a judgment on the source. So Austin Steinbart, I have found his information to be incredible. I love the way he speaks. He speaks truth to power, and he speaks... He gives a lot of information that's uh, intellectually based uh, that you can research on your own that, that, that makes a lot of sense, and it does sound like it's coming from an insider. Where it gets squirrely is him saying he's Q. I don't even know what Q is, and the people that are getting so up in arms about whether he is or isn't Q, they don't know what Q is either. And if they're telling people they know who Q is, they're grifters. Okay, or they're delusional, or they've got an inflated ego, because really nobody knows. I've talked with you recently. We've had lots of great discussions, where I've kind of talked about how uh, Q started posting so much more frequently in the last year, and I've started to see it not as original source information, but as a curated news feed. Now, I love the curated newsfeed. It's a great curated newsfeed, but it's not any different than Dan Bongino or somebody else where you, you pick up their Twitter feed and they're going to tell you the stories of the day that you may not have heard about in mainstream media, right? Mm -hmm. Is it a DIA? Can you say DIA? Well, Austin Steinbart said DIA. Can you say it's a military operation? I don't know. That's what Q says. So I just... I think we all need to take a step back and take the words from Q literally at their face value. Use your own discernment. Research yourself. Some things on the board is propaganda. Some it's dis They clearly say some of it's disinformation. They've clearly said that some of the information is coded just for them, for particular communications right? They're not going to tell us what's what and which is which. So it's up to us as individuals to look into them. And I tell you what, there's a ton of great little threads to go down. Um, they've got images and memes that I don't see anywhere else. I don't think I knew who Rachel Chandler was but without Q. I don't think I knew who Ed Buck was without Q. And, you know, you can go down all kinds of little rabbit holes uh, of your own research. I don't think so, in other words, I don't think we have to answer the question. He's just a source of information. And that's kind of the way I look at everything right now, is it's a fire hose of information that's just coming at us, and we just have to verify everything. We can't, you, you know, if something can't be verified, stop. Stop. Yeah. Just like these, uh, just to be very timely, these, these crazy articles about these anonymous sources that said, uh, you know, reasons why Trump didn't visit a World War I memorial and, and called these, called these uh, soldiers losers. I mean, do you know how ridiculous that is? How many times do these anonymously sourced news articles, how many times do they have to be debunked to where we don't give the next one credence? And that's what's so crazy to me. Madness is it just keeps happening. I mean, wake up, people. They're lying to you. Madness. 
Let's be friends. We're all on this cosmic spaceship together. Subscribe and share the Conservative Hippie Podcast. Visit our sponsors, SmokinJays.com. Everything for your smoking lifestyle. StonerHoroscopes.com. Adora Zen dishes cosmic vibes for the stoner at heart. KickFromTheSpot.com. Soccer is American.